If you would turn in your Bibles or tap on your phones or devices and arrive at Revelation chapter 18, I would appreciate that today. If you need a Bible, there should be one in front of you on, that is blue in color, and you are most welcome to use that. In fact, if you don't have a Bible, you could take that one home with you if you would like that too. 1,038 is the page the Blue Bibles have Revelation chapter 18. Well, a man died and went to heaven, and St. Peter met him at the gate. Now, the man wanted to know what the value system of heaven was, and he said to Peter, he asked him this question, how much is a minute worth up here? And Peter looked down in his Peterish ways. He said, well, in heaven, a minute is worth a million years. That's impressive, a million years. I agree. The man excited said, whoa, well, then how much is a nickel worth up here? Peter said, well, a nickel's worth a million dollars. He said, whoa, Peter, can I have a nickel? Peter said, yeah, in a minute. It's all about your value system, isn't it? What's your value system? It's what you're looking at. Well, what John, the writer of Revelation, was looking at was this. Verse 1 of chapter 18. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority. And the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. This angel was no ordinary messenger. That's what angel means, is messenger. Because his glory radiated the whole earth. So dark was the world. So dark was everything. This angel just shone light on the destruction of commercial Babylon. In our last study in chapter 17, we focused on the destruction of what we know is the false religious system of the end times. And the system had been around since, well, the beginning, Genesis 10 and 11. But all religions who do not have Jesus Christ as their Lord and only Savior in the end times will be combined Islam, Hinduism, and all the rest. It will be combined as one religion where the whole world will be gathered together and in the middle of this time, in the middle of tri the tribulation, mankind, the beast, will get up and destroy. He will destroy this religion. Chapter 18 reveals the demise of the world's economic system. It's all folding together. Religion, economics. Sounds like a bad, bad conversation at Thanksgiving, doesn't it? What's it bring about? Total worldwide destitution. Total worldwide 
I'm done. Mankind has lost its religion, and now mankind will suffer the loss of wealth that they desire. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we, we ask you that you speak to us today through and by your Holy Spirit. May you allow us to hear. May our eyes be open that we can see, our ears be open so we can hear what you have to say. But Lord God, also that means that if we see what we need to do and we hear and understand what we know we must do in obedience to you, may we do it. May you change our hearts where they need to be changed. I pray these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. We begin today with the voice of condemnation. What had been anticipated for several chapters, all the way back when they said, Babylon will fall, Babylon the Great will fall, and we'll see next week. We said, yes, next week. We finally see the consummation of this happening. What's the consummation? Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. Today, it's not how it happens, but the effects of what happens And they are massive, massive in scope. Remember, Babylon not only speaks of a city. Yes, it is a city or was a city in modern Iraq where we know it's by the Euphrates. But we read today, did you see that little code today where Peter said those in Rome? It was also those in Rome. It was in Rome. That's also, it also was a picture of that. But Babylon is also a system. It's a city, but it's also a system. And since the world, the word, excuse me, fallen is said two times. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. Okay, okay, this is big. All right, when the scriptures say something the same way twice, we understand it means something very, very big is going to happen. But we also understand by the context, the religious system is falling, and now the economic system is following. Well... When we speak of economics, I wasn't alive during the time of the Great Depression, but my parents were. And believe me, they lived a lifestyle that reflected what they had gone through. They threw nothing away, and they weren't hoarders, but they threw nothing away because they did not know when they would need it. All right, so. The largest, again, the Great Depression in 1929. What happened then? Well, simply this. Banks were closed. If you had money in the bank, bye. See you later. Jobs were lost. Millions of jobs were lost. Also, they had these little things called bread lines. And if you wanted to eat, you had to stand in a bread line and would eventually you would get your food handed out to you every day. It was a bad time to be in business. This time is going to look, make the Depression look 
tame? Why is this going to take place? Why is the destruction of the economic system going to take place? Well, because the system is totally corrupt. And you would say, well, yeah, we know it's corrupt. It's more, will be more corrupt than it is now. The angel says this in the middle of verse 2, speaking of Babylon, speaking of the system. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. The city and its system, it's seen as an abode of evil. John is picturing these birds flying around. What are these birds? They're vultures, they're crows, they're carrion, they're unclean animals. He sees every unclean beast of, that would tear, hyenas, different things like that, all hung out in this one city. What's it a picture of? It's an abode of evil. And when we say, he says haunt, it could also be translated this way. It's a prison. It's a cage. These things, the unclean spirits, they cannot leave. They are here. They aren't allowed to go. It's almost like they're ready to feast about what is going to die, what is going to rot in this city and in this time. Judgment has come because the system has permeated the whole globe. Years ago, we would wonder, well, how can this be? We don't worry about it now, do we? With the World Wide Web, everything connected, if something happens, say, in Japan or somewhere in the Far East, we know it within a half a second or less. It is all hooked in together. Hooked in. As with the harlot. Now, excuse me, I jumped ahead of myself. Verse 3. For all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. As with the harlot of chapter 17, the entire world committing the sin of fornication, of idolatry, this system intoxicated by the people of the, of the, people of the world with riches and the pleasures that they offered. I don't like to admit things like this, but I understand what it is to be intoxicated. And when you start out with one or you start out with two, okay, I can see this, and all of a sudden you will end up doing things that you would never do before. That's the way the world is with this economic system. They've taken one, they've taken two, they've taken three, and now they're drunk with the passions. More, more, more. But the, in the last days, we have been warned. And when I speak of the last days, the last days began when Christ left the earth and went to his Father. We think, oh, we're living in the last days. 
I guarantee you everybody who has lived since Christ left, they thought they were living in the last days. They have been living in the last days. We know that people will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And I would go, yeah, I would say amen, that's true. Brothers, sisters, have we not been warned? Have we not been warned? And John wrote this in his short epistle, epistle in 1 John chapter 2. He said this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Just as one drink can lead to wanting more, so this system can subtly, subtly influence anyone who is not aware. And it can influence us. We heard the voice of condemnation, now the voice of separation. A call of separation has been given throughout biblical history. It's been heard through biblical history. In fact, you could call it the principle of separation. Now, think with me here in the very part of it. What did God do in Genesis 1? He separated light from dark, right? Stick with me here. It's, it's what I'm trying to appeal to. He separated the water from under the firmament, and above the firmament, maybe a little closer to home, he commanded Israel to separate from other nations. The other nations during, before the New Testament, they were supposed to come to Israel. They would see how Israel, Israel's God protected them, how they served him, how he did everything for them, and they go, I want some of that. That's why they were separated from other nations. For us, the church has been commanded to be separated from the world. Now, this is where we get, okay, what do you mean by that? Well, God promises to bless his people when they are separated from sin. Verse 4, Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. The commentator Warren Wiersbe has written, in every age the church must identify its Babylon and separate itself from it. He then helps us understand how to do just that with four different questions. If you're taking notes, grab them out now because you probably want to write these four questions down because I think they'd be good questions to have a discussion besides the pastor this lunchtime or during the week. The first question, how do we insulate ourselves without isolating ourselves? Look at that again. How do we insulate ourselves without isolating ourselves? The second question, how do we move in the midst of evil and remain untouched by it? 
Third question, how do I maintain contact without contamination? Contamination, I can speak this word, contamination. How do I maintain contact without contamination? How do I touch something or not touch him? How do I walk around where I'm at, at my job, at the place of where I go, where I eat lunch, at the water cooler? How do I not be contaminated but yet remain in contact? And the last one, I'm going to call out Nicole McCoy right now. She is so smart. She used her phone for a good purpose. She was taking pictures so she didn't have to write it down. I know Connie goes, ah! <laughs> it took me three years in seminary to figure that out. The fourth question, how do I become a Daniel in Babylon and not a lot in Sodom? We are followers of Christ, correct? Correct? This is, this is a rhetorical question where you probably should be going, yes. When we look to Christ, that is what we should look. What was his example? How did he live in the world? And again, we are not the God-man, but we are his followers. How did he react? How did he interact with people? When Hebrews 7.26 tells us that he was holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners. He was all of those. But he was also accused of being a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, he was not a drunkard, but he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. One man has said this, we must be like a skillful physician. We must practice contact without contamination. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 and following. They will not be on the screen, but I'll read, and you can follow along if you're there in person or you can listen to me read it. The writer wrote, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, for I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Now, 
I know all of you who have went through my youth group would have heard this because it would have been a part of a dating thing that we had. And you were going, okay, I kind of remember that now. First of all, we need to understand what this isn't saying, what it isn't saying. God is not saying, or the writer of the the book in, in 2 Corinthians is not saying that we're not supposed to have friendship with those of the world. You better have friends with those who are outside of our... Why are we here? We're here to be friends. We're not to be intimate friends. We're not to be so close to where we were contaminated. But we need to love those who are amongst us, who we are among. They need to know Christ. Did Christ not command, go into the world and proclaim the gospel to every creature? Jesus prayed to his Father in John 17. He said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Speaking of his disciples, I ask that you do not take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. How will the world know if we're gone? They have to hear. What this is saying, what this particular scripture is saying, it comes from Deuteronomy 22.10. Now, for all of you who have a donkey and an ox in your backyard, you're going to understand what this means. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. Oh, shoot. I mean, Royce, I guess you're going to have to get rid of your, you know, your, your fleet. I don't think he's talking about... He's not talking about tractors. He's not talking about that. He's talking about things that are not the same We know what an ox is, right? An ox is a big, it's bigger than a cow. It has these big horns, and they're strong. You've heard this term, strong as an ox. We know what a donkey is. A donkey is one who is stubborn. A donkey is also a beast of burden. They do this kind of the same things. A donkey carries things, an ox carries things. But if they're hooked together, they have a different gait. They don't walk the same. They can't travel the same. They're out of step with each other. But this command is speaking more more than animals. Because I bet you thought, you know what, I I don't own an ox, I don't own a donkey, so this doesn't pertain to me. It's talking about relationships. Relationships. It is talking about getting married. Single person, don't settle. Don't settle because it will bring heartache. It also talks about, I'll even take it a step further. If you're dating and that good-looking guy that you know is not a Christian and you haven't had a date in a year and he asks you out, guess what? No. No. My statement has always been, you have a choice who you date. You might not have a choice who you fall in love with. What about major doctrinal issues? Let's bring it to church issues. Some people have different ways they worship or different ways that they see things, but we would look... 
we need to stick, stay away from that. There will be differences if we unite ourselves, differences in morals, values, philosophies, and lifestyles. Certain things were never meant to be brought together. Never. William Barclay wrote, It is impossible for the purity of a Christian and the pollution of the pagan to run in double harness. I can guarantee you the furrow is not going to be straight. The reasons for separation from Babylon, God had patiently endured her rebellion, and now judgment was due. Verse 5, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. They're stacked up like bricks in a building, like Legos on a Lego tower hooked together. These did reach heaven. The first Tower of Babel, it didn't reach heavens. Remember, it was only a small temple. But this tower, this sin, the sins, they reached far up. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. Now understand, church, God is the one doing the judging. He is the one. He is perfect in the way that he sees things. Only he, not us, can do this or should do this. He gives the perfect amount of punishment. A double portion here simply means this. It is what is deserved. Not one drop less out of a bowl being filled. Christian, please listen to me on this one. I think you know the, question, the answer to this question. question is, does this leave room for vengeance on our part? The answer there we know is negative. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Heaven continues. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart, she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. She claimed, Babylon claimed, exalted status, reserved for God alone. I am the one who has... The, is the master of my fate. I'm the master of my ship. Nothing will happen to me. She trusted in what money could do 
which is a denial of God's supreme glory. And if this doesn't look like our society today, I do not know what does. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. We've heard the voice of condemnation, then the voice of separation, but now the voice of lamentation. Just as one weeps at a funeral, who wails at a funeral, and I might say, when we have you ever been to a memorial service or a funeral where there was no Christ involved in it? It's terrible. We as Christians, we mourn, we do mourn, we do cry, we do, we might even wail, but we have hope. These have no hope because those on the earth who made great riches, these are the ones who mourn. Three separate groups, each company not only weeping for the city or the system, but mourning for what they have lost what they lost. They didn't even so much mourn about the people in that city or the, the system. They mourned about them. It was all about us, all about me. Three groups, monarchs, merchants, and mariners. First the monarchs, verse 9, and all the kings, the kings of the earth. These are more than the ten kings. These are every king. This is a worldwide thing. All the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, alas, alas, and say, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. They can see the judgment. They can see the horror, but they're not going to get next to it because they might get burned. They're not going to get next to it because they know they deserve the same thing. But they feel they know what they've lost, and they know that they've been a part of her evil. They've willingly taken part in the debauchery, they and they've profited from it, derived power from her. Oh, we never thought you'd be gone. But there are more, the merchants. And just like the kings, self-interest fuels their remorse. Verse 11, and the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Wow. No one buys their cargo. No one buys our stuff. Well, what kind of cargo, what kind of stuff? Well, this list is an exhaustive list that would have taken, it would have covered every country of the Roman Empire. All the things that came in, all the things that went out, all the trading partners throughout the whole known world. And today, I suppose that 
we could find every one of these things on Amazon or eBay, and sadly, the last one can be found on Craigslist. Craigslist, I understand, if you know where to look. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots. Every one of these things, nothing wrong with owning these particular things. There's nothing wrong with a gold ring on your finger. There's nothing wrong with a watch on your wrist. There's, not, there's nothing wrong with a house, a nice house. There's nothing wrong with a car. But if they own you, there's something wrong. When our focus of life becomes material goods, it is not good. Well, how do I know they were, these particular people were placing human beings in the same category as all the above? These merchants were even trafficking human beings. Humans were just the same as all of this list. And slaves, that is human souls. Everything from a slave that you would own for your house to a slave that you would own for your body. Not a care for a person who was made in God's image. Just as some mistakenly say that money is the root of all evil. No, money is not the root of all evil. It is the love of money that is the root of evil. The love of things is the root of all evil. The love of anything other than love God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Their hearts are exposed. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas! Alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels, and with pearls. Sounds a lot like the great harlot from chapter 17, doesn't it? For in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. Everything gone. Everything that they held value to, gone. 
like a vapor, like a fog in February. When the sun comes out, it's here now, it's gone. As I read a question this week when I was preparing for this today, it was simply this. Would you pass the Job test? You might write that down with the other five. Sorry, uh, Nicole, I don't have it on the screen, so you're going to have to write this one down. But <laughs> would I pass the Job test? If in one hour your everything you owned and everything you held dear vanished, would God be enough? If everything you held dear was stripped away, would Jesus be enough? Materialism has nothing to do with the amount of things that you have. It has everything to do with your attitude. How's your attitude? It's another good question to have this week. The monarchs and the merchants have made their feelings known, but there are mariners rounding out this commercial group. I guess we could add the UPS delivery truck drivers and FedEx. I'm only trying to be relevant. I'm not talking bad about UPS drivers or FedEx drivers. And all the shipmasters and seafaring men and sailors and all those who trade whose trade is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning, what city was like this great city? Really? What city is like this great city? Hmm. And they drew threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. In a moment, in one single moment, in an hour, it had been all stripped away, gone. Can you imagine the horror that will be? We've heard the voice of condemnation, separation, lamentation, and finally the voice of celebration. In contrast to those who are on the earth, those who are citizens of heaven, those who have been told to wait just a little while longer are called to rejoice. What is going to happen? What is going to take place? Vindication. Vindication. And again, I'm not saying that this is a time to go, ha! It's none of that. I don't want anyone who is a friend of mine or an enemy of mine to have this happen to them, but it will unless they turn to Christ. Vindication for God's people, and more importantly, God's reputation, will be and is upheld. Verse 20, rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. 
And in an instant, it will take place. Noted, note, notice now the repeated phrase, as I continue to read this, and you read it there, the repeated phrase of no more, no more, no more. This is, there's, there's no more final appeal. There's no more stay. The sentence is final. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and of trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of every craft, of any craft, will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of the bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. No more. And the biggest reason for the judgment is that Babel, the Babylonian system that has been responsible for the deaths of many of God's precious people down through the ages has come. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. Most of the faithful martyrs that have been killed have been sacrificed on the altar of power, of profit, of greed, and satanic hate. Tellingly, both luxuries and necessities will be removed. No more. She has been stripped forevermore. Where are you when it comes to this Babylonian system? I know it's surely easy to say, well, I'm nowhere near it. Does your life consist of garnering riches, power, or prestige? Are you like the church of Laodicea who said to themselves, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Do you need Christ? Do you need what he provides? What does he provide? He provides life. He provides peace. He provides joy. He provides himself, which are true wealth, which is true riches, which is true contentment. They all come from him. 
when we build up our bank accounts or we have our stock accounts or we have our 401ks, believe me, I have a 401k and I watch it. Am I devastated if it goes down a third? Half? <laughs> I have Christ. I have him for eternity and he has me. As the voice from heaven called those on the earth to come out of the Babylonian system, I think he's calling to us, come out of the world, be separate from the world system, and truly be changed and really live. You're still going to go to work tomorrow. You're still going to have pay your taxes. You're still going to look at your 401K because you still have to eat. You still have to live. But are we really living? I'll finish here, and, and Joel, you and your team come up after I read this particular letter that a second-century man wrote to another. He was writing about Christians. Do you fit the description? For Christians are not differentiated from other people by country, language, or customs. You see, they do not live in cities of their own or speak some strange dialect or have some peculiar lifestyle. They live in both Greek and foreign cities wherever providence has put them. They follow local customs and clothing, food, and the other aspects of life. But at the same time, they demonstrate to us the wonderful and certain, certainly unusual form of their own citizenship. They live in their own native lands, but as aliens. As citizens, they share all things with others, but like aliens, suffer all things. Every foreign country is to them as their native country, and every native land as a foreign country. They marry and have children just like everyone else, but they do not kill unwanted babies. They offer a shared table, but not a shared bed. They are at present in the flesh, but they do not live according to the flesh. They are passing their days on earth, but are citizens of heaven. They obey the appointed laws and go beyond the laws in their own lives. They love everyone, but are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and gain life. They are poor and yet make many rich. They are short of everything and yet have plenty of all things. They are dishonored and yet gain glory through dishonor. Their names are blackened and yet they are cleared. They are mocked and blessed in return. They are treated outrageously and behave respectfully to others. When they do good, they are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if being, have been given new life. They are attacked by Jews as aliens and they're persecuted by the Greeks. Yet those who hate them cannot give any reason for their hostility. To put it simply, the soul is to the body as Christians are to the world. The soul is spread through all parts of the body and Christians through all the cities of the world. 
The soul is in the body, but is not of the body. Christians are in the world, but not of the world. The epistle of Methodus to Diogenes. Let's sing.